Good morning. Uh, the scripture reading today is from Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. It is on page 6 of your bulletin and actually also on page 7. So you'll just skip, <laughs> skip along with me. It's kind of divided up. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that, had, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace Meridian Hill. Good morning again to you all. This is uh, week three of this uh, short five-week sermon series uh, in the month of July through uh, the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, my name is Erwin Itz. For those of you who are newcomers here at Meridian Hill, I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors on staff in our network of churches and as the director of our Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission. And so I want to uh, turn our attention in God's word this morning to those verses that you just heard read and speak to you on this subject, uh, endure by faith, living for the city. Endure by faith, living for the city. We have been calling this short sermon series subtitled, In Need of Endurance, taken from the 10th chapter of this letter where the pastor says to his congregations, do not throw away your confidence, which has a very great reward, for you have need of endurance. We find ourselves very often in the life of faith striving to follow Jesus Christ in need of endurance. Last week we looked at the first seven verses of this chapter, talked about endure by faith and the need for x-ray vision. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about living for the city. And here's the point of the message. It is that through faith in 
his promise and his word, God enables us to live life in the here and now as citizens of heaven. That through faith in his promise and in his word, God enables us to live in what might be called the nasty now and now as we wait for the sweet by and by as citizens of heaven. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, again for this word of yours that is not dead but is alive and it's active and it is sharp and it pierces. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you, through my weak and unworthy efforts in your word, that you would do what only you can do and take them and use them to speak your truth into the hearts of everyone who is gathered here. And Lord, give us precisely what we need. If it is faith, give us faith. If we need correction, correct us. If we just need, Lord, to experience again the riches of your grace and kindness in Jesus, would you do that for us? We will be people who live for the praise of your name through Jesus Christ, our King. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, John Cotton was a well-known Puritan preacher back in the 1700s, and he arrived in, quote-unquote, the New World in New England in 1633. Three years prior to that, in 1630, while he was still pastoring in England, uh, he preached a famous farewell sermon to a group of fellow Puritans who were making their departure across the Atlantic to New England. The title of his sermon was God's Promise to His Plantation. And his chosen text for that sermon was taken from 2 Samuel chapter 7, and one verse, verse number 10. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 10, the Lord says this. He says, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And Reverend Cotton's primary emphasis in his sermon was that God was making room for his people in this new land, New England. He says in that sermon that when God makes a country, though not altogether void of inhabitants, yet void in that place where they reside, where there is a vacant place, there is liberty for the sons of Adam or Noah to come and inhabit though they neither buy it nor ask their leaves. This placing of people in this or that country is from God's sovereignty over all the earth, he told them. And he says only in the text here in 2 Samuel 7 is meant some more special appointment because God tells them it by his own mouth. God's people take the land by promise. And therefore, he said, the land of Canaan was called the land of promise. He said, there's poor comfort in sitting down in any place that you cannot say, this is appointed me of God. In a very real sense, for those Christians, 
that crossed the Atlantic, those Puritan Christians that crossed the Atlantic in the 1700s to come to New England, and in a very real sense, uh, it was metaphorically like Israel crossing the Jordan River to take possession of the Promised Land. That's how they viewed the New World. This was to be a new and a better country for them, and where they would be able to escape religious persecution that, that they were enduring in England. Well, as we know in the history of this land, this better city, this better country wasn't so much better for everybody. Y'all, many of you know that song by Stevie Wonder from 1973, Living for the city where he puts the trauma to music uh, with the, that song telling the story of a young black man trying to get out of the South and make his way to New York City for this new and better life. And he gets sent to prison and serves 10 years for a crime he didn't commit. And Stevie, toward the end of that song, in uh, one of the last verses, he's, he's sing I wish I could sing like Stevie. I'm just going to say the word. Right, where he said his hair is long as feet are hard and gritty. He spends his life walking the streets of New York City. He's almost dead from breathing in air pollution. He tried to vote, but to him, but to him that's no solution. Living just enough, just enough for the city. What was viewed as a chance for a better city by the Puritans became the place of persecution for others. We can rightly criticize the, the Puritans for living as though New England was to be a place uh, built by and for Christians. And at the same time, we get the fact that whether we are Christians or not, we long for things to get better. And what that longing is, is a longing for God. It is a longing for God to make things better. And it is hard, it is hard to endure with joy when that longing is so intense. I love the way that church father St. Augustine put it in his book, The City of God, when he was writing, comparing the cities of this world and the city of God. He said, one city, one is the city of belongings, here in this world, the other is the city of longings for God. How do you live in the city of belongings here in this world as city, as citizens of the city of longings for God? This is what the pastor is emphasizing to the Hebrews in our passage this morning. He is saying to them, God wants you to live like you're a citizen of heaven, not like y'all are citizens of Palestine. This is the life of faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in him, we are able to endure through the ups and downs, the ins and outs of this life, because we understand that we are citizens of the city of God. And he delivers this message to them using Abraham as his example. Abraham gets more space in this chapter than any other of the people of old that he began to talk about at the beginning of the chapter. That's because Abraham was recognized as the father of the faithful. So he had celebrity status. 
if Abraham, by faith, lived like he was looking forward to a better city, a city with foundations whose builder and whose architect is God, then what's your excuse, he wants them to know? The pastor's already told them in chapter 2 and verse 16 that Jesus helps the offspring of of Abraham. He said it's not angels uh, that, that he helps. He helps the offspring of Abraham. So if you're one of those offspring, you ought to be living like it. You ought to be living for the city that is the city of God. He shows them and he shows us what living for the city of God means. He shows us what it means to have your life now be informed and shaped and formed by the reality of a heavenly homeland. So we're going to work through with these four things. What does living for the city mean? Living for the city means, one, obedience. Living for the city means, two, trust. Living for the city means, three, clarity. And living for the city means, four, no shame. Obedience, trust, clarity, and no shame. The pastor began this roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, all the way back in Genesis with Abel and Enoch who were commended by God. God testified that they were faithful and then he talked about Noah who by faith constructed the ark for the saving of his household and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith he says and now he says in verse 8 by faith Abraham, when he was called, he obediently went out. He obeyed and went out to a place that he would later receive uh, for an inheritance, and he went out with no idea where he was going. As I said last week, we talked about x-ray vision, the, the connection between sight and faith. Uh, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the the conviction about the things we don't see. I said last week that faith in the unseen undergirds this entire chapter. And here it is again. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where the place he was to receive as an inheritance was going to be. It says in Genesis chapter 12, verses 5 to 7, it says, Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and, he, and they set out to go to the land of, of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, the oak of Morah. At that time, it says, the Canaanites were in the land, and then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land and so he built there an altar to the Lord God didn't tell Abraham the destination ahead of time but when Abraham heard the call when Abraham heard the word of God he responded with faith and obedience living for the city means obeying the king of the city and look right That word obedience can make us nervous. It can make us a little bit nervous. Now, I got to say this. Uh, It doesn't make us nervous when it's in the context of other people obeying us. (laughs) I'm going to confess, 
I didn't ask for permission for this ahead of time. My wife and I have been married 26 years. And for 26 years, I've been saying, if you would just listen to your husband, everything would be all right. <laughs> like, you just, just listen to it. Are we, are we going to get married? She's like, no. Right? So, right, parents, you know, parents all over the world, they'd be smiling today. If you knew that today was the one day of the year out of the 365 that your children were going to be perfectly obedient. There was going to be no back talk today. There was going to be no rolling of the eyes, no stomping of the feet, no, no dropping of the face, face when they don't do, want to do what you tell them to do. No grouchiness, no grumpiness, no nothing. But they just say, yes, mommy, yes, daddy. I'm glad to do that for you. It's my it is my delight to obey you. Oh, the joy that would fill a mother's or father's soul on that day. If today would be the day, that would have happened. We are happy when other folk are obeying us. What makes us nervous, though, is when we got to obey somebody else. That's because we're not in the driver's seat. But this first point uh, out of verse number eight is that faith responds to the word of God with action, and that action is obedience. Abraham was living in Ur of the Chaldeans. That is, he was living in Babylon, and he did not have a miserable life. His wife, Sarah, couldn't have children, but he wasn't poor. He wasn't struggling to make ends meet. He didn't have any reason to leave his homeland. That is, until the Lord said, get up and go. Get up and leave this place and your father's house and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And the pastor reminds us that by faith, when he was called to go, Abraham obeyed. God's word was enough for him to leave his homeland without looking back. In the sense of both the text in Genesis and our text here is that Abraham's response was immediate. The Lord said, leave here and follow me to a place that I'm going to give you as an inheritance. I'll let you know you're there when you get there. And Abraham's response was, let's go. The feet of faith is obedient to the word of God. Look, we, we heard it even today. I hope every time, look, every time in, in, in our church context, I hope that when you hear new members take their vows, you are thinking about the time you gave your membership vows. And when you hear that question, do you promise in humble reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will live as in accord with the followers of Jesus Christ. And you hear somebody say, I do. And you remember, oh yeah, I said I do too. That I have promised that I will endeavor in humble reliance, not on my strength, but on reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit that I will endeavor to live this life as becomes the followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, I am promising in reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit to obey the Lord Jesus. 
that my desire is to obey. As one commentator put it, Abraham's example teaches us further that true faith always leads to decisive action, that trust must manifest itself in obedience. Indeed, that works are the evidence of faith, that the word of God calls not merely for faith, but also for action that springs from faith in that word. When Christ demands of his disciples that they should follow him, he is demanding not some kind of abstract, contemplative pursuit, but that following which displays itself decisively in the act of rising, forsaking all, and daily taking up the cross. That when Jesus says, follow me, when he says, follow me, he is not saying to us, listen, just sit back and spend all day contemplating uh, and reflecting and meditating on the idea of following me. Saying no, no, realize what I am demanding of you. Realize that I am not asking you to be abstract and contemplative but I am telling you that what this means is that there is a decisive act of rising and forsaking and taking up the cross. If you're living for the city of God, then the word of God is sufficient enough reason for you to respond in obedience. If there's no obedient response to the word of God, it's a clear demonstration that I don't have my sights set on heaven at all. It's a demonstration that what I want most and what matters most is how I want things to be in the here and now. And get the idea we need to get the idea out of our heads that we need to have every I dotted and every T crossed before we respond in faith to God's word. This is a hard word, but it's, I think, the reformer Martin Luther hits a nail on the head when he says, this is the glory of faith, simply not to know. Not to know where you're going, not to know what you're doing, not to know what you must suffer, and walk and with and with sense and intellect virtue and will all alike made captive to follow the naked voice of God this is this is he says the glory of faith simply not to know not to know where you're going, not to know what it will cost, not to know what you may suffer, but with all sense and intellect, with all your virtue, all your will, made captive to Jesus Christ to follow the voice of God. And living for the city of God means following the naked voice of God because here's the second point, you know you can trust him. Because you know you can trust him. Living for the city of God means trusting the king of the city. It means trusting God because you consider him to be faithful. Abraham.
Abraham set out in faith because he had a firm grasp on God's promise of an inheritance. Trusting God's promise drove his actions. Look again at verses 9 to 12. He says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and whose builder is God. Uh, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains by the sand of sand by the seashore. Okay, I'm going to get a little uh, um, Greek nerdy with you for just a minute here uh, uh, because it, it goes to this point. I want to make an editor's note here. That verse 11 And the ESV translated by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Uh, That's a tricky verse to translate out of the Greek text. Uh, The ESV, as we just heard and read, uh, takes Sarah, Abraham's wife, as the subject of verse 11. But it's clear to me that Abraham is actually the subject of this entire paragraph, and that includes verse 11. And so what I'm putting before you as a preferred way of translating this verse is found in the NIV, the 1984 version, where they take it as, as Abraham as the, uh, the subject, and that's translated there as by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. You see the difference. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because what the pastor is emphasizing is Abraham's unwavering trust of God that had him always looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. Even when he got to the land of promise, even when he got to Canaan, the Lord said, this is the land that I'm going to give you and your descendants as an inheritance. He never owned any of it. In fact, we find in The Bible in the New Testament in Acts 7 that Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, says says in his sermon in Acts 7 that God gave Abraham no inheritance in the land, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And so our text reminds us that the entire time Abraham lived in the promised land, he lived as a foreigner. When Sarah died in Genesis chapter 23 and it was time to bury her, Abraham said to the Hittites in verse 4 of that chapter, Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Living as a foreigner meant not having the rights and privileges of a landowner. He couldn't even bury his wife without getting permission. He sojourned in the land of promise. He moved uh, around in it. He didn't settle down and and build a house. He lived in tents, and he was just like he was visiting for a while. 
you know, when we decide to go to a new city, a new place to, to go make our lives there, that we're going to make someplace our new home, right? What we want to do eventually is like buy a house, right? We want to establish roots in that city or, or that town and say, this is now my home. I belong here. This is my place. But you know, sometimes, sometimes we can feel, depending on where we're from originally, we can feel the, the pull of our original hometown that makes us hesitant to think of someplace else as, as home. I had this conversation in the dentist's office just this week. I'm from New York City. I'm from Brooklyn. I now, I now live in D.C. We own a house in D.C. or we owe the bank a lot of money for the house we're living in in D.C. But, right, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And so this week, uh, in my dentist's office, the receptionist, she asked me, because she's also from New York City. She was like, you know, when people ask you where you're from, what do you say? Do you, do you say, uh, I'm uh, originally from New York? But I, uh, or, or do you just say you're from New York? I said, no, I said I'm from New York. Yeah. I live in D.C., but I'm from New York. I feel that pull, of, right? That just, you can take me out of New York, but you can't take New York out of me. Amen. Right? We consider sometimes with, in those types of contexts ourselves to, to still be kind of visitors in our new place. Abraham, listen, he lived like a visitor in Canaan, but it was different. He lived like a visitor in Canaan, but it wasn't because he was homesick to go back to his father's land. When it came time to find a wife for Isaac, he sent his son back to, he sent his servant rather, back to his homeland. And, and the servant asked uh, Abraham in Genesis 24, 5, what if the woman isn't willing to follow me back to this land? Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham basically says, under no circumstances are you to take my son back there. If the woman isn't willing to follow you, you're free from this oath of mine. Just don't take my son back there. It seems as though he had such a trust in God's promise to give his descendants the land of Canaan that he put out of his mind any thoughts of going back to his live in his old homeland even though he was just a visitor where he was living now. Moving from place to place, never settled, no matter how difficult that was. There was no thought of going back to the security of his homeland. The pastor's point in showing us how Abraham, by faith, endured through life in the promised land as a renter instead of an owner, goes way beyond this trusting God for a piece of land on this earth. He says in verse 10, it's because he was looking for a city with foundations. A city with foundations whose designer, the architect of this city, the one who lays it out and who, 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 who measures it and the one who actually puts his hand to the plow to build it is God. He said he, he's looking for this city with foundations whose designer and builder is God, I'm trusting the God, I'm trusting God that this city, right, his, his attitude wasn't like, listen, look, I'm just, I'm just trusting that God, that this city uh, that I'm living in is going to become the capital of Israel, uh, it's going to be the city of God. No, he's looking for a different city. 
He considered God who made the promise faithful, and he understood the inheritance that God promised to be nothing less than the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new city that we read about in Revelation 21 that comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. A tent has no foundations, but the city God establishes does. Trust in God by faith that our citizenship is in heaven enables us to live today like foreigners. What does it look like to live as someone whose citizenship is in heaven? Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 20, he says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us from many of whom I have often told you and now tell you of even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had just told them in that chapter that that he counts every as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ. Then he says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. If your citizenship is in heaven, then don't live like your belly is your God. He's not just talking about don't be gluttonous and eat all the food at the, at the buffet table. He is saying don't put all, don't live like all of your eggs are in the basket of this world in the material things that this world can offer you. That's why he could say to them, I know what it's like to abound, and I know what it's like to suffer lack. I know what it's like to have plenty, and I know what it's like to have literally nothing. But I can say in each and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of what it means to be content in Jesus Christ. Look. Abraham became wealthy. But notice the pastor doesn't say anything about his material wealth at all. It gets no mention because it's not uh, evil to be wealthy or righteous to be poor, but because living for the city of God means trusting in God and not in our stuff. Living for the city of God means uh, uh, obeying the word of God because you trust that, that God and, and you trust him because, here's the third point, because you have clarity on where your, whole, your true homeland is. He becomes slightly a bit more generic in verses 13 to 16. He'll get to Abraham, back, back to Abraham specifically in verse 17, but, but he says in verses 13 to the first part of verse 16, these all died in faith. These people all died in 
faith, not having received the the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them or embraced them and welcomed them uh, from afar and having acknowledged they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He says, for people who talk like this, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. He said, if they were thinking about that homeland from which they came out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. He says, that is a heavenly one. These all died in faith, he says. They all died in faith. That is Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob were all still living by faith when they died. And they were still living by faith when they died because they had clarity of vision. They didn't receive the things that were promised, but they were able to see them and to welcome them from afar off. The the promises of God were so clear and so certain to them that even though the promises did not physically materialize in their lifetime, they could see it clearly. What hinders us from living for the city of God is cloudy vision. Difficulty, listen, difficulty in life can make things foggy. The press and the pressure and the challenges of life in this world can make our our vision foggy and unclear. You see it, listen, you see it over and over again in this letter to the Hebrews. If you read through it, uh, the pastor has had to tell them, we are not like those who who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those of faith who, who, who persevere and preserve their souls. They are dealing in this context with opposition to their faith, and it's making things cloudy. You might not be this morning dealing with direct opposition to your faith if you're a Christian this morning, but there are still things uh, going on in your life that are threatening to fog up your vision. It might be relationships with people. It might be issues in your workplace. It it might be temptations to do what you know is ungodly uh, that are moving you to act like your citizenship is here. You might be like, can't I just give him a piece of my mind? Like, I feel so much better. Can I? Listen, it'll feel so good if I can just tell her where she can go. God wants that piece of your mind too. He wants you to clearly confess that by faith in Jesus Christ, I'm different. Through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm different. I got a different citizenship. I love what he says in verse 14. He says, people who talk like this, people who talk like this, they make it clear that they're seeking something different. They're seeking a a, a homeland. They're seeking a different kind of city. There's something peculiar about them. 
people who confess that they're strangers and exiles on the earth are making it clear they desire a homeland. And he says in verse 15 that that homeland Abraham and his family were thinking of is not Ur of the Chaldeans. They, were, they could have gone back there, but they desired a better country. And just in case you're wondering, the pastor makes it clear. He says the type of homeland I'm talking about is a heavenly one. The better country the people of faith desired wasn't another piece of land somewhere on earth that wasn't going to be problematic for Christians. People of faith endure because they're clear that this better country doesn't exist in the here and now. This clear desire for a heavenly homeland is what informed their life of faith here on the earth. Look, look at me, look with me at how he's connecting the faith of the people of old with the lives of the people to whom he's writing. If we look back in chapter 10, verses 32 and following, he had said to them, but recall, he said to them, Hebrews, recall the, the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has very great reward, for you have need of endurance. He said to them, you know what it's like to live for a better city. You know what it's like to suffer the plundering of your property because you knew you had a better possession. When you lived like that, he was saying, you were just joining in the history of those who live by faith. Don't stop now. Endure through to the end. And can I tell you something? I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> you cannot actually live as a Christian without this same testimony. You cannot, there will always, there will always be evidence in, the, in our lives that the Spirit of God is enabling us to suffer some kind of loss with joy because he has given us clarity that we have a better and more abiding and more lasting possession. Listen. This will be your testimony if you follow Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Do you have this clarity that heaven is your homeland? The reason that this clarity is necessary is because every culture in every place throughout all time wants to set the conditions for the good life according to its own standards. It's always hard to say to people, you can't live life without putting your trust in Jesus Christ and then assume that heaven is your home. It doesn't sound like you're being nice when you say that. It sounds like you're being much nicer if you say that heaven is everybody's home no matter what. But the Bible is clear that to have heaven as your homeland requires faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You can't live like the homeland you desire is the one you've got right now and say, I'm going to heaven. 
The pastor says people who desire the better homeland, the heavenly one, make a confession. They confess by faith in God and his promises that they are strangers and exiles right now. And there's evidence in their life to that effect. They're not just giving lip service. And here's the point I'll end with. For people like this, for people like this, there's no shame in their game. Living for the city means no shame. A life of faith in Jesus Christ may certainly mean that other people may put you to shame. But when it counts, where it counts, there's no shame at all. The pastor says, therefore, because they desire a heavenly homeland, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Because he's prepared a city for them. God was not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob because he prepared for them a city with foundations. He designed it and he built it and he's not ashamed to be called your God either through faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the pastor almost sets this idea of no shame up as bookends in the beginning of the letter and at the end of the letter. In chapter 2, at the beginning of the letter, when talking about Jesus Christ, he says, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies... And those who are being sanctified all have one source. That is why he, Jesus, the pastor says, is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. At the beginning of the letter, he says, listen, listen. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother or sister. I know you busted up and broke down, but through faith in him, Jesus, he's not ashamed to say, that's my brother, that's my sister. And now, at the end, he says, he says, listen, look, look, this is how it's always been for people of faith. God is not ashamed to be their God. He's doing the work of building and preparing a city for them. And look, it's like uh, the double negative emphasizes the positive. God is not ashamed. That means he delights. He delights. <laughs> He's not ashamed means he delights. It is a joy for Jesus to call you brother and sister. It is a joy for God to call himself your God. you come to this faith in Jesus Christ? Have you, have you felt the press and the pull of this world that wants you to say, no, just live for the here and now. Live for this city and, and have your life go through the peaks and the valleys of the life in this world. When you have a lot, be happy. When you don't have anything, be sad and weep and mourn because that's all that there is to life. Do you feel that tug? Do you hear the voice of God saying, 
through faith in my son, I am not ashamed to be your God. It is my delight to be your God and to give you joy in the peaks and in the valleys that you might know that I have prepared for you a better country, a better city, one beyond your imagining, and it's yours, and no one can take it away from you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for delighting to be our God. Pray that you would encourage our hearts by this word, that we would live for the city of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing our song.